from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 22 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more fun and meaningful for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind. And to sighted parents who have a blind child, blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, the difference between traveling with a white cane and a guide dog, audio information networks, and go, go, grandparents. Guide dogs and the people that use them are called a team. The person is called a handler, and the dogs are called dogs. There's a big difference between using a guide dog and a white cane. You really need to have strong cane skills in order to be an effective guide dog handler. That's Paul Sandoval, vice president of the National Association of Guide Dog Users. All guide dog schools require that you're proficient with your white cane before they'll give you a dog. Paul says there are times when you still have to use your cane or when it's just handy. Traveling with a cane in a new area, I love to do that. Even when I have my dog, there's times when if I'm not figuring it out with my dog, I'll pull out the cane, use the cane to kind of get points of reference to kind of um, direct the dog and pattern the dog into ways that I want. Maybe there's three doorways and he keeps he keeps consistently taking the left doorway. And so that may be a case where I pull out my cane, see what, what for what reason is he preferring this, this doorway? Um, is it something that I can determine? And then if not, then I work with him on targeting the, the door I want. Maybe it's the second one or the third one. And then we just, we work on that, that specific doorway. We give it a name. We spend a little extra, a couple of minutes focusing on that, that doorway in, in back training is what we call it, where you show them an item, then you back up a couple steps, tell them to find it. If they find it, then they get praise. Um, then they back up a few more steps and you tell them to find it. And that just increases and increases until you can get 20, 30 feet away, pick up the harness, and regardless of what choice they have, they know where you want to go. There's a big difference between using a guide dog and a white cane. When you use a white cane, you literally touch what's in front of you with your white cane tip before your foot steps on it. So if you're walking down a sidewalk and either the sidewalk turns 
or you're not walking straight. Your cane tip touches what's next to it, and you're always feeling obstacles in front of you, like cars sticking out of driveway, or motorcycles and bicycles parked on sidewalk. Traveling with a guide dog is a totally different experience. Your dog's trained to go around obstacles. As a result, you don't have any idea what's around you. Your dog even guides you around things like rose bushes and low-hanging tree limbs full of snow. The tactile traveler, Sally Ut, has been using a guide dog for the last 11 years and is now using a white cane. All of a sudden, she's become aware of all kinds of things that sighted people don't even think about and white cane users deal with as normal parts of travel. Oh my goodness, with a white cane, you really need to feel the edges of your walkway. I'm learning that when I when I am passing driveways, that if I step off to the side and I'm paying attention, when I step off into a driveway, that that driveway actually tilts down a bit, slopes down to the road, which I never knew before. I'm learning that there are an awful lot of different configurations of curb crossings. I'm learning that not all curbs line up with each other, so that you may be going straight across the street, but you may not get to the curb. So you have to be very aware of your surroundings. You need to listen to traffic, you notice where the wind is blowing from, how the sun feels on your body. It all helps with staying oriented. Even though guide dogs don't make you aware of what's around you, they do a whole lot of things that your white cane can't. They stop at differences in elevation, like curbs and curb cuts, or edges of things you could fall off of, like decks, docks, and even cliffs. And they do something regularly that could save your life. It's called intelligent disobedience. Elizabeth Campbell is president of the Texas Association of Guide Dog Users, a reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and a correspondent for the Tactile Traveler. Guide dogs use intelligent disobedience in two ways. First, if you're following a command to go forward and are crossing a street and they see something coming at them like a car, they'll yank their handler out of the way. That's why guide dogs have to be big enough to do that. The other way is refusing commands to cross the street. All, all the time. If they feel like it's not safe, if they think, sometimes what happens is that cars will pull up to stop in the crosswalk. Like, no, we're not going. You're not going. We're not crossing the street. And so then we wait to the next light cycle and then... I can tell, then I hear the car moving, whoa, yeah, that car was stopped right in our way where we couldn't really get around it. So they're trained to have a very watchful eye on, on cars and so forth. Guide dogs don't know where you want to go unless it's a place you go regularly, like school, work, or a bus stop. And all they respond to are commands left, forward, and right. But some guide dogs learn commands that'll amaze you. Sally Ott. With my first dog, I could just ask him to go to the desk. He would take me to a customer service desk and, uh, in a store, 
he would take me to the check-in desk, the hospital. That was a good word for him. And if I asked him to take me outside of any building, would find his way outside for us. If I asked my white cane to go somewhere, nothing. It just sits there. Sally says there are trade-offs. I don't think it's good or bad. It just depends on what you're looking for. Feeling, I think, of freedom with, with both avenues. I think I'm noticing now that I don't have a dog to consider when I'm traveling. It's a lot quicker to get ready to go out. There's considerations like if I'm being picked up by someone, I don't have to figure out where my dog is going to sit or even if they want my dog in their car. I don't have to think about wearing dark clothing and having maybe fur on my clothing where I'm going. But on the other hand, and I don't have to worry about maybe sometimes I would worry about if wonder if my dog was going to behave, if he was going to be quiet during the whole time I was in a meeting or whether he was going to need to go out at some point and I would have to leave the meeting and then come back in again, which sometimes is a graceful experience and other times is not. Being able to now, I, I can't just decide I want to go somewhere and get there. I don't have good enough skills to do that. So I miss the freedom that of, of just having a place to go and knowing that I could get there with my dog one way or another, whether it was walking there because I love to walk, whether it was taking the bus, calling Dial-A-Ride, which is our paratransit service here, and then knowing that when I get where I'm going that my dog could help me actually do whatever it was I needed to do there. Wayne Marshall is a certified mobility and orientation instructor and owner of independent training services in Atlanta, Georgia. He says maintenance on a white cane is simple. Using a guide dog isn't. Well, well of course, there are some obvious differences, such as one is an animal and one is an object. And with the animal, just like humans, you know, they need care. So there's personal care, like grooming and medical care, you know, as you and I would need. So dogs, you know, I don't, they need medical attention for health purposes um, and whatever may come about. And so you have those needs to attend to. And most times, you know, people travel with water and other provisions like food. Some people I've seen have little rain jackets and booties, all those kind of things for their animal, whereas with the cane, there is no maintenance, with the exception of maybe wiping off your cane occasionally and, and maybe even replacing the cane tip occasionally. A lot of guide dog owners say traveling with a guide dog is like traveling with a baby. One of the most difficult situations for people to be in is not having control over what's happening to them. The hardest part of getting a guide dog is giving complete control to your new dog. Jim Stokes, Ph.D., is a blind child and family psychologist who's teaching and supervising graduate students at the University of Denver. It requires that you need to let go where and to trust this animal, whereas I think it's very difficult to, to let go completely as a, a visually impaired person because 
there's so much that feels out of control anyways when you can't see. So you want to feel like you have some control over your environment, some control over your ability to maneuver in your environment. And when you're letting go of that as well, you know, like using a cane, you feel like, ah, I have so much more information here, so much more control. And then just handing that over to a dog is like a complete letting go. But that just takes time to learn that, for you to learn the dog and for a dog to learn you and to trust that process. So that is quite challenging. One of the things you might have to put up with is asserting your rights when people tell you guide dogs aren't allowed. The National Association of Guide Dog Users, Paul Sandoval. A guide dog is allowed anywhere that the public is allowed, including emergency rooms, restaurants. You know, as long as as long as the public would be allowed, then your 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 guide dog, you are allowed to have your guide dog. Let's let's be clear. The guide dog handler is the one that has the rights, not the guide dog themselves. So the the person who is the guide dog handler has the right to have their mobility tool. And as long as that as long as that guide dog, that service animal is clean and behaves, there's no reason for there to be any access issues. Sometimes Uber and Lyft drivers refuse to let you in their cars with your guide dog, which is illegal. The Guide Dog Association is working on changing that and will go to court if they have to. Each guide dog has its own unique personality. The one thing my guide dog does that, that makes me laugh, that I think it's kind of uh, shows his personality, he doesn't like water. He's a lab. So if we encounter sprinklers, He'll go around the sprinkler and walk me through the sprinkler. He does not like the water. But that's, you know, that's, that's, I know that about him too. So I also know that when the sprinklers come in, he's generally going to get me close enough or he's going to try to get enough out of the water so he doesn't get wet. If there's room for me to get out of it, great. He'll pull me out. If there's not, I'm going to get wet and he's not. Just like adoptions with people, getting a guide dog doesn't always work out. Sally returned her last guide dog because it wouldn't always follow command. And and Dr. Stokes wasn't really meant to be a guide dog. He treated me like I was a boss rather than a companion. It got to the point where he, I'd say, let's go for a walk. And so many dogs go, great, let's go. He would literally go and hide. And I think the biggest problem was my dog had difficulty staying focused. It would become distracted quite easily, especially by other dogs. And so what was happening was he would, we'd be waiting to cross the street and I think it's safe and he'd start pulling me across and it wouldn't be safe. But what was happening was he was trying to run across the street because there was another dog on the other side of the street. And sometimes it would, and then he would also like, and, and that would throw my balance off and pull back and fall down. And once I fell into the street, that happened. But many times we, it, he would just be going and not stop or not avoid something because he was just interested in going after a dog. So, and we worked on that and tried to train him to not respond to dogs, but he just seemed to not be able to do that. Return guide dogs are usually trained to be another kind of service dog. If you're interested in getting a guide dog, just search the internet for guide dog schools. Most developed countries have guide dog schools that do international placements. 
And the VA has its own guide dog program. All guide dogs are free to their handlers. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. At the end of every Tactile Traveler program, I announce that we are carried on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. Audio Information Networks, also called Radio Reading Services, are available in most states here in the United States and in some other countries. Anyone who is print disabled is eligible for their free services. There's a lot of reasons why someone couldn't navigate print material. Blind or they could have low vision and they are not able to navigate things. And maybe they have dyslexia, like they could have dyslexia or maybe or maybe they've had a stroke or something and they can't hold a print publication. Kat Bradbury is Director of Programming and Volunteer Services for the Audio Information Network of Colorado. She supervises 150 volunteers who read local daily and weekly newspapers, magazines, and the content of some websites, among other things. Some of the networks carry additional programming, including the Tactile Traveler. Additionally to being an employee, Kat also is a volunteer. I read the grocery ads. I do that on my own time so that we have grocery ads because I can't get a volunteer to do that because it is such a hard read and there's, it takes like four hours. She reads every word of every grocery ad for Safeway, King Supers, City Market, Albertsons, and Natural Grocers. Each one of those advertisements is a separate program. Listeners hear the network's through live streaming, smart speakers, podcasts, on the phone, and through special radio receivers supplied for free. Search the internet to find how to become a listener or volunteer. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It was a Saturday night. I wanted to go out, and I'm going, oh, man, I want to go out. I want to do something. So I said, let me check out this gogograndparent.com that my mom was talking about. I, I got to tell you, the, you know, my, my apprehension with it originally was, oh, man, it's going to be one of the typical disabled services where you got to do all this paperwork and you got to get approved and whatever. <clears throat> I was approved in minutes. That's Brett Silver. By day, he's a mild-mannered outreach coordinator for the Talking Books for the Blind Library in Nevada. But by night, he metamorphoses into a social butterfly who likes to spontaneously meet friends. He's blind and does use paratransit. But where he lives in Las Vegas, paratransit trips have to be scheduled one to three days in advance. Not real handy for last-minute decisions. He could use Uber or Lyft, but you need a smartphone to do that. His phone is dumb, really dumb. You know what? I'm not crazy about smartphones. I've tried to use them, and I've had some issues with them, and, and they just don't, 
I don't feel they're as reliable. GoGo co-founder and CEO Justin Bugard came to the rescue. The idea for GoGo was my grandmother. I lived with her for three years back in 2013 through 2016. I didn't have a car at the time. She saw me using on-demand services and asked how she could use those as well. The trouble, though, was that she, she didn't feel very confident that they would be able to serve her needs in such a way that she would be able to rely on them at, at night. She wasn't super great with technology or smartphones. And so my co-founder and I really wanted to build a better experience for her that she could count on. My grandma being a popular lady, uh, word started to spread. So now hundreds of thousands of people like her are using GoGo. GoGo Grandparent is a service that keeps an eye on all aspects of a trip. We monitor all trips 24-7. We do monitoring even before the trip starts. So if a driver is arriving, but they're circling, let's say, a hospital building because they don't know which entrance you're at. One, we would have tried to do everything that we could to prevent that from happening. But if uh, the hospital has a tricky pickup address or multiple entrances, then that trip would be, I'm sorry, picked up automatically by our system and surfaced to a team member here at GoGo. And instantly on that team member's screen, a map would show of where the client has told us that they are and where the driver is circling and guide the driver directly to where the client is and make that connection happen. Uh, once the connection has been made and the, and the trip begins, GoGo is monitoring it from start to finish. If it looks like uh, a poor route is being chosen or if a driver is going off into the distance, we will call the client and um, check to see if they've given the driver any additional instructions or anything that would explain that, or otherwise call the driver and get them back on track. They also arrange pickups for things like groceries, medicine, and meals. They have memberships beginning at $10 per month, plus 27 cents per minute of travel. Justin says a typical trip usually costs about 25% less than a taxi in the same area. Go to gogograndparent.com for their phone number or call directory assistance and keep asking for an operator. And when you finally get one, ask for an 800 number for GoGo Grandparent. GoGo is one word spelled G-O-G-O. Hello, thanks for calling GoGo. This is Ernesto. How can I help you today? Hey, Ernesto, I need a ride. Of course, let's go ahead and help you with this. I'm speaking with okay. uh, Brett Silver. You got it. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line 
to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. It's also available by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler, and a program number. So far, we've had 22 programs. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people who have made today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Chris Mitchell, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. Thank you.